Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. That when it's sown into the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on earth. But once it's sown, it springs up and becomes the largest of plants and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. That might be the most historically verifiable prophecy ever uttered. That's what happened. The church began as a mustard seed, a few hundred people gathered in Jerusalem with very little resources, very little education, all from one insignificant nation. And then it grew. And over the course of centuries, it came to overtake nations and empires. And it put out branches, new institutions, hospitals, universities, orphanages. It began as a seed, and it became the largest of all plants. Historians have called this state of affairs when the teachings of the gospel penetrate the institutions and values and vision of a civilization, Christendom. Christendom prevailed in the West for, for almost 1,500 years. Recently, the University of Mary published a short book called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission that I, I highly recommend reading. And it argues that Christendom is over. It's done. The universities are no longer Christian. The hospitals are no longer Christian. The media is not ours. Even popular sentiment is no longer favorable to Christianity. So we find ourselves in a situation much more akin to the situation of the first apostles and the early church than to those centuries of Christendom. We're in a new phase of Christianity. But that's not a cause for despair. Because despite all odds and lack of worldly power, the first Christians met with great success. This book imagines the apostles drawing up an initial inventory at the beginning of their mission. So these are their resources. Bishops, 11. Priests, 11. The same guys. Deacons, none. I don't know what they did without deacons, Deacon Chuck. I don't know how... I don't really know how it got off the ground without deacons, but they made it. Trained theologians, none. Religious orders, none. Seminarians, none. Seminaries, none. Christian believers, a few hundred. Countries with Christians in them, one. Church buildings, none. Schools and universities, none. Written gospels, none. Money, very little. Influential contacts in high places, next to none. Societal attitude towards us, ignorant to hostile. They were like a little seed, the smallest of all seeds. But there is power in the seed. The book says of the early church, they weren't discouraged. They were filled with joy and hope. They had confidence in their Lord, in their message, and in the creativity and fertility of the church. They knew that their task was to be used by the Holy Spirit to grow the church. The church in an apostolic time, and he says that we are in an apostolic time, needs to have the same confidence in the power and goodness of the message she bears, in its life-changing potency, in the church's power of regeneration and growth. So instead of complaining about what we've lost, 
instead of griping about all the obstacles that we face, let's renew our sense of wonder at the power of the message. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man were to scatter seed on the land and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He knew not how. Sometimes we forget how wonderful and mysterious a seed is because it's something that's so common to us now. In the Chronicles of Narnia, I can't remember which book, but I think it's The Magician's Nephew. They go and and one of the kids throws a lollipop to the ground. And he comes back the next day and a tree has sprouted full of lollipops. And you think, that's amazing. But actually, reality is much more amazing. You put a seed in the ground and it grows up as if God said to us, oh, you ran out of food? Okay, take that little bit that you didn't want to eat from the apple, that little black thing, and just put it in the dirt. Just put it in the dirt. And then a tree grows up, and it's full of apples. I mean, if it weren't so common, we we wouldn't believe it. We wouldn't, it would seem too uh, wonderful for fantasy. Well, likewise, the growth of the kingdom is, is the work of God, not ours. We can't turn a heart to Christ. We can't fabricate the life of God in a soul. Only he can do that. And that's a cause for wonder and also for hope because he is almighty. So there's a power in the gospel that defies all odds. Sometimes it seems so fragile, doesn't it? And we see that especially in the parable of the sower, which we didn't read today, where the seed is scattered in all different places and it seems like everywhere it's scattered, it faces a different obstacle to growth. It lands on the path and it sprouts up and and burns out. It lands on the rocks and the birds come and eat it. It lands among thorns and thistles, it's choked out. And you think, where is this seed going to have a chance? And sometimes we look at the gospel in the world in the same way, and we said, there's so much working against us. Who has a chance of making it through? And yet, at the same time, a seed is resilient. Sometimes you find a seed growing up in a crack in the sidewalk. No one planted it there. No one waters it. It has almost no nutrition. And yet there it is, growing up. Well, the kingdom of God has that kind of resilience as well. The seed wants to grow. A couple of years ago, I met a young man named Will from Massachusetts. He went to American University where I was working. And he had grown up with, in an atheist family. But he was uh, very intellectual, and he was part of the, his high school's quiz bowl team. And so one day before, as he was getting ready for a quiz bowl tournament, he decided he wanted to just grow in general knowledge. And so he found a Bible, and he started reading through the Bible. And he was captivated. And he couldn't put it down. He kept reading and reading. So a few months later, he got to American University, which is a bastion of secularism. And he, and he encountered this small, fervent Christian, uh, Catholic community. And he said, I want to be a part of this. Well, that year he entered the church against all odds. He grew up in an atheist home and went to a secular university. But the seed found a little crack in the sidewalk and it grew and it grew and it grew and it couldn't be stopped. So there's a power in the seed. You know, sometimes we pay 
too much attention to the opposition. And we forget who's for us. God is for us. And as Paul says in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? On top of that, the gospel is true. So we shouldn't be so surprised when people come to believe it, should we? And it's not just true, it's good. So should we be so surprised that people come to choose Christ? Last week I visited a young family from the San Juan Diego community. They had just been on a retreat two years before, and from that moment forward, their life had been changed. And I was so struck when I visited their house at how good the gospel is, how good it is to follow Christ. You know, uh, we sat down for dinner, and this little their four-year-old son began the prayer, which was the most beautiful, incoherent Spanglish prayer I've ever heard in my life. He said, En el nombre de Padre, Hijo, Espíritu Santo, gracias, Mamá, Papá, TV, water, chicken. And he just went on and on and on <laughs> until his mom realized that his brother wasn't at the table. So she ran off to the living room, and he was laying on his belly, coloring pictures, and he refused to come to the table. So she grabbed him by the armpits, and instead of going up to his feet, he just curled up in a ball. So she was carrying him. He was like a ball coming out to the, out to the table. I thought, oh, man, this is going to be a fight. But then he started laughing, and she started laughing. And they got to the table, and the mom made the other son start his prayer over again. And so his litany of Spanglish can, began from the beginning. Well, there was so much love in that house. There was so much love, and they have their battles to fight. You know, she's an, a makeup artist, and she's trying to work out whether that's really consistent with her faith. And he's a little bit shy, and he's trying to gather the courage to share about Christ with his co-workers. But they read the Bible to their kids every night before bed. The little kid says, read me the book. Read me the book. And they sit down on the edge of the bed and read the Bible. And I walked away saying, it's so good to follow Christ. It's so good. And when people believe in him, their families are transformed. Life is so much happier with him. Well, so we shouldn't be so surprised, should we? Even in this world, with all the obstacles that we face, that people decide to follow Christ. Because the gospel is true and the gospel is good news. And there's a power in the seed. There's a power in the message. And there's much more that we could say beyond the message about miracles, about the power of prayer, about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Let them have the universities. Let them have Instagram. Give me the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Give me the sacraments. Give me the cleansing power of baptism and confession. Give me the infallible word of God. It's not a fair fight. God is on our side. And if God is with us, who can be against us? So let's work diligently to advance the kingdom. You know, we can't make the kingdom grow, but that doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. And we see that even in the parable of the seed. The parable emphasizes, without a doubt, the sovereign work of God. It's a mystery how the seed grows. And yet, you see that the man in the parable has a role to play. First, he goes and he scatters the seed. And then, he entrusts it to God. 
he waits, he sleeps. But in the morning, he wakes up and he goes to observe the progress. And every morning he goes and he sees it grow up, first the blade, and then the head, and then the full grain. And as soon as it's ripe, he pulls out the sickle to harvest. So you can see that he's paying attention, he's involved, he's letting God do his work, but he's watching. And at the moment that he needs to act, he acts. So recognizing the power of the seed and the sovereign work of God doesn't make us passive. It actually inspires even greater attention and generosity. So if we're faithful to the work the Lord has set before us, it will grow. The seed wants to grow. And that's been your experience here at St. Michael's, hasn't it? Even during this time of pandemic. So this book, I want to read one more quote. It says, wherever apostolic zeal and apostolic strategies are in operation, the results are impressive. One sees conversions to the faith, especially among the young. New movements and religious communities being born or rediscovering their vitality. Institutions being founded or formed. A deepening life of prayer and communal witness being expressed. So when we work and trust in God, things happen. The kingdom advances. I want to end with just one more historical example that also comes from this book. After the French Revolution, uh, the French Revolution, the church in France was in disarray. And many were predicting that the church would die out altogether. But then something surprising happened. So listen to these statistics. In 1808, after the French Revolution, there were 12,300 religious sisters in France, which for the time was a low. 70 years later, there were 135,000. In 1830, there were 3,000 priests in France. Again, a low number. Less than 50 years later, there were around 30,000. Ten times. So there are plenty of people predicting the demise of the church in our times. But they don't know the power of God. Who knows what God will do? What if God wants to do something great in this city, in Portland? For our part, we have three steps to take. First, to embrace our present situation. Christendom is over. There's no use complaining about it. There's no use lamenting it. We have to accept our situation and embrace it. Second, renew our wonder at the power and the goodness of the gospel. And then, third, set to work.